0: No necessary. Were prohibited by law. plus terms and apply. See website for details. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is my interview with the director and writer of Jungle Land, Max Winkler. i going to be good, Lion. I mean, I can see it. I can see your future when I close my eyes.
1: got it all laid out in front of us, we're all going to lose
0: Something wonderful is happening tonight, ladies. I can feel it.
1: Come on, give me a little roar. Let Let me hear your roar. Oh, man, I'm trying to
0: focus (laughs) on your little roar lion.
1: Me money you don't have. I'm
0: offering you an opportunity. battle Royale for 100K.
1: Take it to this address by this time next week, and Lion stays on the card.
0: You don't seem like a boxer to me. What do you mean? You haven't got that thing? What thing? This thing?
1: I don't walk around going like this to people. I could kill you, but I'd never get a return on my investment.
0: We got one option. We fight. You use me. And what I'm good at, everybody knows it. You set me up! What am I gonna look out for you? trying to do. You don't know why I do what I do. We're all gonna lose. A it's fate. Hello everyone and welcome to the next best picture podcast. I am your host Matt Neglia and today I am being joined by the writer and director of the new film Jungle Land, Max Winkler. Max, how are you today?
1: I'm good, how are you? I'm doing really well,
0: uh, all things considered. <laughs> it's a really crazy time to say the least. Right. And it's very interesting because this movie is pretty much a year old at this point. Uh, premiered at last year's Toronto International Film Festival. It is now finally being released this weekend. What has what this process been like for you in just in terms of getting eyes on this movie and this long release window for this film? Uh, what, what has that been like?
1: You know, I think probably what it's like for all people who made a movie in the last year, um, a lot of waiting and praying and hoping that there's a way for for as many people as possible to see the movie it was supposed to come out a lot earlier, but um, obviously things change drastically in the climate of what it means to see movies now. And I think people are still trying to figure out what the best way is. Um, I definitely miss going to a theater. Um, I really, really, really hope the movie theaters come back um, in my neighborhood in Los Angeles, the Arclight Hollywood. But until then, it seems like people have to go and see movies in drive-throughs or watched on their televisions. You know, This is a movie that when we were setting up shots for it and and talking about how it was going to be seen, it was always um, imagined to be seen in a movie theater. And um, some people will still get that experience. We got that experience at the premiere in Toronto. but, um, you know, having sold the movie out of Toronto and waiting till now for it to finally come out has been, um, I feel really lucky that we're one of the ones that that get to have this opportunity because I know a lot of great movies are still kind of waiting to figure out when things are going to change for them to come out.
0: Yeah, no, totally. And, you know, you mentioned uh, it being seen on a big screen and I want to actually touch upon the work that your cinematographer, Damian Garcia, did in this film because there are a lot of, angles and a lot of shots in this movie that were very unexpected to me um a lot of tight close-ups a lot of deep focus uh shots and uh, really just a a very unique eye to say the least can you talk a little bit about the shooting style for what you wanted uh jungle land to convey emotionally to the viewer
1: yeah i mean damian is one of the most talented cinematographers i think in the world and in mexico he's like a superstar basically like chivo and then him and um he wins you know he's either nominated or wins the uh, Ariel award mm-hmm. you know every year almost and I'd seen a movie that he had made um called Gueros and then I'd seen a movie he had made called Museo and um we Skyped a couple times his English isn't that great but uh he's such an incredible guy with such a good sense of humor we talked about the kinds of movies we wanted it to feel like and and you know natural lighting as much as possible and and um really taking our time and not trying to overshoot and trying to just try to find the best way to tell the story for everything and um being really patient and deliberate and and telling the story and we talked about the deer hunter a lot and Mm. and we talked about um steve mcqueen's movie hunger which is a movie i love the way Mm -hmm. that movie looks we watched that a lot and um we then just tried to keep, you know, we, the thing with Damian that I loved is we would set up a whole shot and, you know, we would lay the Dolly track down and we would pick our lens and we would, something about it would not feel right. And we would look at each other and we would say, there's something about this. It just doesn't feel right. Or something about this feels like we can do better. And and we would constantly challenge ourselves, um, to, you know, pick up the Dolly track and, and lose three shots, but find the right one. And, and I'm just yeah. like, I'd never had that relationship with the with the cinematographer before, and I just I, I found our collaboration one of the best collaborations of of my life because most importantly, he's a really good person with a great sense of humor. Yeah. Whenever we would shoot something that would be like kind of like a feel like just like a boring establishing shot, he would start to do and he's really thick accent, but he would start to do the uh, the Seinfeld um, baseline, you know, <laughs> kind of like it's, it's like a. Feels like a multicam shot, and then we'd be like, "All right, let's 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 rethink this." And um, I, I love. I learned so much from him about not settling and and not lighting or moving the camera from a place of fear or a place that um, comes from anything other than the truth of of the story.
0: Sure. And in speaking about the story itself. Uh, this is a story of two brothers, familial bonds, and it's a story that I feel like we have sort of seen before. I, I thought of a couple of fighting movies recently, like The Fighter or Warrior, yeah. as like direct comparisons. Um, so I was just curious to know, since this is an original screenplay, what what drew you to this particular story? What, what human element of these characters really sucked you in?
1: I never saw it as a fighting movie. I saw the fighting as sort of a way in, but you know, I love male melodramas. I love Paul Newman's HUD. I love Scarecrow, this Jerry Schatzberg movie. I love five easy pieces. I love, um, you know, love stories about two people unable to tell the other one exactly how they feel about the other one because their own sort of toxic stuff keeps getting in the way of it. And, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, there's the fighting element, there's this, I'm obviously deeply inspired by Bruce Springsteen and as in the title and in the movie and -hmm. and the way he describes his songs, which are both, you know, gigantic kind of anthemic songs, but also deeply personal, you know, like Dancing in the Dark, you listen to it once and you're like, this is just a banger. And then you really listen to it and you're like, oh, there's a song about depression. Like he hates the way he looks and he can't leave the house. And the way he describes that is, he says, um, make your uh, the blues in the verses and gospel in the chorus. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's a really good uh, metaphor for making movies too. So I guess like the um the fighting is the gospel, you know, and that's the thing that can kind of really get uh get people to go hopefully see a movie just about like two brothers who love each other and, and mm-hmm. the kind of um melodrama that comes between them and and the real specificity of of, of their relationship and And that stuff kind of ends up being the blues. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. No, totally.
0: Absolutely. And I do think that there is a uh, lacking of um, male heterosexual uh, affection in cinema today, which I think is something that people shy away from. So a lot of the inspirations that you mentioned there, I kind of like that you are leaning on those a bit here. Um, When I think of male masculinity nowadays, I I do think of Charlie Hunnam. The guy Mm -hmm. is completely ripped he's good looking he conveys a very strong persona in a lot of the roles that i've seen him do before he's not who i would immediately think to be stanley in this movie however he showed me and i'm sure other people who have seen the film something different than what he has done before and i'm curious to know what it was that you saw in him
1: this is going to sound crazy but it was actually king arthur Okay. (laughs) I I saw King Arthur while I was casting the movie and I think he's incredible in it. I think that movie was actually criminally um, kind of given a bad hand. I think it's actually a really good movie and his performance in it is incredible. There's a lot of levity in that performance and there's a lot of comedy just in a kind of Guy Ritchie way and I saw that movie. I wasn't was on every night and I have a hard time sleeping and I kept re-watching King Arthur and I wrote our producer I was like I think Charlie Hunnam should be Stanley and I'd seen him in James Gray's movie The Lost City of Z which I thought he was incredible in and mm-hmm. I think he it's easier for him to be a character actor and, and for this movie he lost I mean he's obviously a star but you know he's so happy to do the work and get lost in a character and not have to carry it all on a look or a persona and his performance for this, I mean he lost 30 pounds for this movie. We cut his hairline way back. Yeah. Um his vulnerability and his tenderness as a human being, as as the guy I know, and how he how he what he brought, the humanity and affection he brought to this movie, um crushed me. And yeah. um, I'm forever kind of like blown away by it.
0: Yeah, no, I was blown away by it too, actually. And uh he is someone who um, I find in little pockets here and there. It's like every time he does a role, like you mentioned, like Lost City of Z and now with something like this, it's like he's always revealing something new that I hadn't necessarily seen before. And here I, I, I like what you said about him tapping into a character actor uh, mindset, because I thought it made his work very exciting to watch. Uh, Jack O'Connell. Uh, obviously had also a tremendous amount of uh, physical preparation for yeah. uh, this role. Can you talk a little bit about like, what it was
1: like working with him through that and uh, his preparation? Totally. He's just pure natural talent. I mean, that all of that boxing is him. You know, he was an incredible boxer before this. Um, all the stunts are him. He's, oh, wow. Yeah, everything. Every punch that is thrown in the movie is by him. Every time he hits the ground, he's just an incredible physical presence and a pure, you know, he, he's just an incredible talent. You just look Mm -hmm. at him, you can put the camera on his face and the audience will feel whatever he's feeling times 10, you know, with a tiny flicker of an eye, he has to do so little because it's all happening internally, like in a real kind of like Brando type way where you're just like he picks up a glove and you're wondering when the last time he picked up a glove is, you know what I mean? And like, Mm -hmm. he's, I'd seen him in 71. I'd seen him in startup. I mean, he's good in everything. And, um, you know, when we cast Charlie, we cast Jack quickly after, and, um, I just feel so lucky to have the cast that I have.
0: Yeah. No, I seriously, because also too, you have, um, uh a, a one scene uh with uh with john Cullum in this movie and you know I, I was really really curious in the build up right to the reveal of um uh colonel yates in this yeah. movie like who it was gonna be which actor right. did they get for this
1: and when i saw that i was like oh, oh okay so whatever the opposite of Marcellus Wallace is we were going for it. and you know just sort of like this old, waspy, white, privileged sort of guy that still thinks the country owes him something and here are things the way they are and to kind of stand in the way of Charlie's blind idealism about what the American dream should be. And that was all Doug Abel, the, our casting director. I, I knew of John Colm, I hadn't seen him in a while and he was like, I know for a fact that this is the right choice. <laughs> and um I met with John Cullum and his manager at a diner in New York and like one of like hopefully a story I always remember and John mm-hmm. Cullum brought his notes and one of the things one of the questions on his notes is was Asian fusion restaurant question mark because it originally <laughs> he owned a string of Asian fusion restaurants and um he just was incredible and and yeah. having him on set for those three days those were night shoots and and he you know he took the train and I think he's in his 90s and and I kept telling him not to I kept on saying we had a stunt double for him to do the falls and stuff like that and I said like, whatever you do we're just rehearsing that don't fall yeah and like, okay Max okay and then I'd go okay great we do that and then it's bang and he was just like this <laughs> and claps on the floor and I'm like John no and um He just was like, everyone was starstruck by him.
0: Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
1: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office.
0: Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. I, uh, I I know we have a limited amount of time here left, but I want to uh, just touch on the rest of the members of the cast. Uh, what a difference a year can make uh, for Jonathan Majors, uh, because mm-hmm. when this movie came out last year, I, I believe, if my memory serves me correctly, uh, um, Last Black Man in San Francisco had been yeah. seen uh, but now flat, fast forward with Lovecraft Country and Defied Bloods and, yeah. and his career is just taking off. So in a way, uh, timing is great to see that his, that his name is attached to this movie now.
1: Yeah. He's amazing. I mean, I had seen, i had seen last, I hadn't seen last Bike Man in San Francisco, but I had seen white boy Rick and talk to people who mm-hmm. worked on that, that were like, whatever you do work with this guy. Yeah. And I we read the script together over the phone. He had such a specific version of who Pepper was and what he should be like. And, you know, when he came, he came on set for like three or four days in the middle of the shoot. And everyone felt like we were in the presence of greatness. And we were. And um, he's somebody I really, really, really hope I get to work with again um, yeah. soon in, he- a, in a more substantial role. Because he is just his physicality and his preparation and the way he sees the world, I find him so deeply um, intelligent and soulful and beautiful. And I just, I, I love him. Yeah. I, I I
0: think he just oozes charisma and, and he, you know, he doesn't have maybe like a tremendous amount of screen time in this movie, but you really do get that sense of everything that you're talking about when he does appear on screen. I agree
1: with you on that. And the actors uh, really were intimidated by him. You can tell, by the way, because it's hard to intimidate Jack. And and when they get in those scenes early on and you see him kind of muscle around with Jack, mm-hmm. he's gigantic. You don't know that all the time. You see it in Lovecraft because they're starting to cut the clothes to to make him look <laughs> Yeah, good. Exactly. You can see it in Five Bloods too, but he's so strong and mm-hmm. he is so beyond any physicality. His soul is so powerful that like Everybody was just like kind of just like a front row seat with popcorn, watching like a greatness happen.
0: And then, uh, when you're talking about uh, the soul sky, uh, in this movie yeah. here and her uh, interactions both with uh, Lion and also with uh, Stanley, yeah. um, is one where she has to obviously click with both characters since it's really a tripod between those uh, those three yeah. characters throughout. So, um, you know, you could have. Theoretically, cast tons of women, uh, anyone really in this role. What was it about um, uh, Jessica Barden that really uh, spoke to you in the casting process?
1: She's just an immense talent. You know, I knew that when I'd seen her in Hannah for the first time all yeah. those years ago. And you just, it's one of those things I, I like talk about. It. It's like when you saw Philip Seymour Hoffman in something the first time, like you're just like, there's no such thing as small parts. You know, if you right. bring that. And by the time we started casting this, the end of the fucking world had over already kind of taken the world by storm for the first season. And she is, you know, she is probably the toughest person on the set and that's saying a lot. And, you know, she's just tough as nails. She's from Yorkshire and Yorkshire girls are just, of a different breed and <laughs> and she, you know, had two brothers. And when we spoke on the phone, she was like, I'm not intimidated by Jack and Charlie because I went to school with these guys. And she said it um, with a lot more expletives, but um, she, I was just like, we gotta, I called the producers and I called Charlie and Jack. And I was like, and they were everyone was so starstruck by Jess just because of that performance of that show. And then what she's done in this movie, and then she's just had two movies come out that she's continuing to get raves for. Like, I just knew that like, we needed someone who was in a movable object for this part, and yeah. um, she looks young, but there's a there's a old soul in her and a survival in her that um, you know will do whatever she needs to do to to make it and get what she needs to protect herself and and what we find out she's protecting in the movie. So she was really really um, important. Yeah, I think so. Definitely. Uh, You've
0: heard it here from Max Winkler himself. Uh, This cast is really fantastic. They are absolutely worth checking out the movie Jungle Land over. And to your point, Max, there are no such thing as small parts. Everybody has a role to play here and they all do it really well to create this uh, emotional uh, drama that is centered on brotherly love and hardship and poverty and uh, really a a lot of different elements and i quite enjoyed the movie i want to thank you very much for your time here today i appreciate it thank you yeah no problem and the movie is being released november 6th from vertical entertainment thank you very much thanks Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to my interview with the writer and director of the new film Jungleland, Max Winkler, here on the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you can subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get exclusive podcast content from us.